Welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan, a reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. And uh, yeah, Wednesday, Alex ain't here, honestly. Thursday, Alex not going to be here either. So if you were tuning in for Alex, uh, tune in for Friday. Um, but of course, we have some wonderful guests. And this being Wednesday, we got Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com. Big V, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Uh, actually, just uh, finished lunch with Alex. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> Ready. Told, told him about all the footy conversations that we were going to have. And, uh-huh. uh, he just tuned me out. And uh, we just ate our foods and moved on. Yeah, um, sounds like a, a great lunch, um, first <laughs> off. Uh, so I, I don't know if he's told you this, but Alex is trying to get into the Premier League. And he's trying to pick a team. Yeah. This um, was a big part of the discussion. Yes. And his first thought was, I'm going to go for Tottenham, in which case I sort of like talked him straight. This is not a pick that you would that you would choose if you have any sort of serious intention of anything, quite honestly. That's the... What is that? That's, Tottenham's like the sexy blogger pick. Um, and then I told him, I yeah, just pick pick a more traditional team, though. Pick one with like a, 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 like an actual history... Um, a culture, a fan base that has seen their team lift something um, mm. in their lifetime. And, uh, yeah. So then, you know, we kind of debated across different teams. Did you have any advice as to sort of what he could pick? My main advice was not to pick United. I knew it. I knew you would tell him <laughs> that. <laughs> because uh, it's uh, some dark times. and But isn't uh, this the, the right time to get in? Like, you get in now and you're good. You know when they're when, no when the right the right time to get in is once the Glazers are out, which oh. is probably a long way away. Yeah, that's tough. if if it's if it's even a way at all. Um, I think he, the funny thing is he was. I guess I don't want to spoil like who he's leaning towards right now, but obviously he's not going to go with Liverpool because he wants to have some kind of banter with you. Yeah, yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah, he does. His whole life's purpose is to create content with me, so that does that exactly. does make sense that he's not going to support Liverpool. Yeah. So that would defeat the purpose. Um, maybe he will look at Chelsea. Uh, it's not maybe. the right time though to be a Chelsea fan. I mean, hey, new ownership. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see as ge- uh, he, as generous. He's obviously not going for relegation uh, teams. Uh, teams in that mix. Mm. Everton's um, out, huh? Everton is unfortunately out. Uh, Leeds United is unfortunately out. Yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think he's leaning one way. It's uh, the other side of Manchester, I guess, and I, I, that would make for great content with you two. Yeah, for sure. I was gonna say that sounds like the rivalry. Not a bad idea. In terms of the content, that's probably the best choice. Yeah, yeah, they do have. A... In terms of a team to support. He might. I, I told him he might be better off picking uh, picking another league, maybe not the Premier League. Damn. No, I honestly, Alex being a front runner and jumping on bandwagons, I think it actually make a lot of sense for him to be a City fan. Plus, you know, Alex uh, came up through generational wealth, um, so yeah, I think the, uh, mm. the City connection actually does work quite nicely for him. But listen, we're going to talk more soccer more towards the end of the segment. I know um, big big matchup coming up this weekend. Liverpool versus Real Madrid, speaking of history and tradition, facing off in the Champions League final, and we'll have time to discuss that. However, there's actual Raptors news for once in uh, the offseason for the Raptors, which is that 
Pascal Siakam was named to the All NBA third team uh, yesterday. Big time. Big time. Big time. So um, the three teams, if you haven't uh, heard already, first team goes Giannis, goes Luka, Jokic, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum. Um, three foreign players, by the way. You know, just noting that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Second team, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan. And then third team, Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Trey Young, and Toronto's very own Pascal Siakam. Now, I have to say, Pascal did have the least votes out of anybody who actually made any of the three teams. Um, he had what, seven um, second place votes uh, and 42. We don't need to get into the details. Well, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> there is a bit of a drop off. You know, when you're looking at total points, so you get, you know, two points for second team, one point for third team, something like that, three points for first. He had 63. The next closest was Trey Young at one. 10. So there is a bit of a gap. However, having said that, this is a really nice accomplishment for him. I think when you were looking at the race for um, all NBA and the forward positions, I think there were a couple of injuries this year. But, you know, based on what Pascal did to lead the Raptors into a position where they're able to finish with the fifth seed, able to finish with 48 wins, he was also remarkably healthy for the second half of the season, was able to play a lot of minutes and also just played a lot of great basketball um, Vivek, were you surprised by this at all? And um, yeah, what did you make of the fact that Pascal has made the All NBA team for the second time now in three years? Well, I will say that that new site that's been around the last couple of years, the NBA Awards Tracker, mm-hmm. uh, the Excel sheet that you can find online, that kind of takes away from the suspense. So I was pretty confident that Pascal would make it. I think without that, I probably would have been wondering this whole time, can he really get ahead of Jimmy Butler? Uh, But I'm glad to see that he did. I think it's fully deserved. And you mentioned the way he carried the Raptors to that fifth seed. So much of this season, the Raptors were in that play-in tournament conversation. And especially after Fred Van Vliet gets hurt, those two blowouts coming out of the All-Star break, you're wondering where things might go. And Siakam went to another level. It was almost—it was almost like he took that All-Star snub uh, personally. And obviously, Scotty Barnes found another level as well. And I thought to take on the load that he did, both on the offensive end and the defensive end, to dictate games the way he did, was remarkable. Uh, the best season that he's had in my books, and. Real leadership all all around, on court, through his actions, off court, keeping in touch with the players, doing everything he can, uh, he could. And so I think the exciting thing for me is going forward, I do feel there is still another level for him to get to. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is the end of the road as far as his development is concerned. Yeah, well, listen, I want to get into that conversation about the next level that Pascal can get to because once you are now in a situation where you're a regular on the All-NBA teams. And look, two two times in three years is not enough to be a regular, but we'll see. I mean, based on the way things are going, he'll probably make it again next year. Um, you know, there will be a conversation there in terms of what that might mean and also what the next steps are. But I, I wanted to sort of, I guess, stay on this team in particular and talk about the fact that, you know, like, so Pascal made it over a guy like Jimmy Butler, as you mentioned. You know, there was some concern potentially that Jimmy might take this spot. And honestly, Jimmy, what, playing for the Miami Heat uh, first in the Eastern Conference, 
Um, the Heat don't have a single representative on the All-NBA teams. What did you make of him making it over Jimmy Butler? I thought it was the right call. I, I thought when you just evaluate the regular seasons, I thought that Siakam, not only did he, uh, like I think it, some people made the case about the games played and the minutes, but to me that was at the bottom uh, of the conversation. Because if you look mm. at what happened since December 31st, the Raptors had an almost identical record to the Miami Heat. Yep. Uh, Siakam's numbers were absolutely outrageous. Um, and he, he, during the regular season, he shot the three better than Jimmy Butler as well. And the thing that stood out to me is you look at the mid range numbers and the way they break it down on basketball reference, uh, you know, in terms of the ranges, the three to 10 foot range, the 10 to 16, 16 to three, uh, three point, he was better than Jimmy Butler in that regard too. Hmm. Interesting. And so I think that's where, uh, I t- tip the scales towards Pascal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say it was absolutely deserved. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on that front. I mean, uh, look, I, I thought there's Jimmy... probably a bigger case for Jimmy over LeBron than there is for Pascal. Yeah. Well, I mean, the LeBron case is a little difficult because um, from a lot of the conversations that I heard around um, why LeBron deserved to make it, a lot of it was it's LeBron, which I mean, like, you got to, like, do a little bit more work than that. Um, his numbers are obviously tremendous. He was not the reason why the Lakers fell so short of expectations. Um, however, he really didn't play, like, any defense in, like, and I, trust yep. me, the Lakers were on TV, like, every day. So it's not like, no one mm-hmm. could really say I didn't watch the Lakers. You were forced to watch the Lakers, okay? Um, he didn't play defense. Uh, his teams were so bitterly uncompetitive towards the end. There was, if you could feel, if you could feel like the annoyance and the disdain he had for some of his teammates at certain points, and uh, yeah, that one is interesting to me. And of course, he also didn't play the whole season. But yeah, I mean, speaking to Jimmy versus Pascal, like Pascal plays eleven more games than Jimmy. Pascal was more efficient from both the field and uh, the, like two point range and also three point range. Uh, Jimmy gets to the free throw line more often uh, and shoots it better there. But uh, you know, Pascal rebounded the ball better than him. Assists were basically the same, 5.5 per game for Jimmy, 5.3 for Pascal. Obviously, they're both really good defensively. If I had to take my pick, I'd still take Jimmy over Pascal defensively, but both guys are really good defensively. And as you mentioned, you know, after Pascal recovered from the shoulder surgery and when you're looking at, you know, not just coming back to play, which for him happened in November, but him getting fully in shape to, you know, be able to perform at his best level. Um you know, from the start of 2020 or 2020, mm-hmm. 2022 onward, um, Pascal Siakam averaged 24 points, nine rebounds per game, six assists per game on 50% shooting from the field and 37% shooting from three. Those are incredible numbers. And it does kind of, you know, beg the question, like, look, what else can Pascal do to sort of elevate his status in the game? Because when you're already in the all NBA teams, the next goal is sort of like, can you make it to not just a second and the first team, but like, can you make it to uh, an MVP conversation? Because when you're looking at the MVP conversation, like obviously that's going to include pretty much everybody that's in the first and second teams. Um, so my question is, can Pascal Sekum get to that level with his game and what he might need to do to get to that level? 
Yeah, I think that's the next step to just continue to expand his range. So okay. going back to uh, the breakdown, right? Field goal percentage by areas of the floor. That 3 to 10 foot range really became a sweet spot for Pascal. He shot 50% from the field in that area. And so while we're on the subject, Jimmy Butler, that same range shot 41.5%. Mm. So Pascal was almost 10% better than Jimmy in that area. And they both take a, approximately a third of their shots from there. Right. So the bread and butter is there. We know that. What happens now when you go to 10 to 16 feet, Pascal is at 45%, which is solid. That is a solid mark. But the closer you can get to 50, even better. So I think that's another sweet spot that he can establish where, again, if teams are packing the paint, especially in the postseason, if he has that comfort to just rise up immediately, then that's another option that you take away from a defense. The other part of it, to me, is the willingness to shoot off the dribble. And so if he develops his handle to a point where he can either take that one hard dribble and pull up or, you know, he can accelerate and stop on a dime. I think those are the two big things where he could really level up, especially if it comes in terms of the hard dribble pull up, especially if it comes from three. It's going to be an incredible shot for him. Non-corner threes this season, he shot 32%. The season before, he was at 30%. Mm. The 2019-20 season, he was at 36%. So that's a healthy Mm. number. If he can get to that 36% number again, then I think we're inching closer towards that fringe MVP conversation. Yeah, and listen, I I think... I mean, if we're going to be completely realistic about it, it's very hard to envision him like in that firm contention for MVP because like you look at the numbers like of a Joel Embiid of a Jokic of a Giannis like these guys are giving you 30 points probably like 12 rebounds like seven eight Mm -hmm. assists you know like uh, that's why I said French they play the two (laughs) they're they're so impactful on both ends of the floor like there is a level like I'm like I'm gonna be very clear about this that I'm not saying that Pascal is gonna jump to winning MVP next year but being in that conversation for MVP, I think, is something that is within reach for him, right? Because when you're looking at a conversation yeah. of, like, Devin Booker's in the MVP conversation, you know, DeMar DeRozan was in the MVP conversation for a lot of the year. I don't fully see a reason why he couldn't get there. And I think, look, the, the case there is obviously you had his own individual numbers, his own individual play, and then also um, his team's record, right? And that, that's where, for, the, yeah. for me, it's like, okay, the, obviously the better the Raptors do the better Pascal is going to do. And of course, you know, Pascal doing well, obviously influences the Raptors winning. But, you know, you look at, again, going back to the start of 2022, the Raptors had the sixth best record in the league, right? Um, Out of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, the Raptors were second in the wins behind only Boston. And Boston had like one of the best half seasons ever. Um, Mm -hmm. And you see where they are right now in the conference finals, uh, two wins away from making it to the finals. Although we'll see if that happens. Um, you know, if, if that trend holds true all season, I, I think, again, like, you'll probably see more of this talk for Pascal Siakam, not just from this propaganda program, which, you know, again, uh, propaganda works, people, 
Um, but like, <laughs> I, I think you'll probably see it uh, more nationally as well. And I think that's where, you know, if he el- incorporates a lot of the elements that you mentioned that you talked about there, if, if you, if you look at, you know, him expanding his range and e- even like in terms of expanding his range, the interesting thing is like, so Pascal did take a, like a, a fair number of pull-ups this season. Right. Um, it, it's not like he wasn't like, it's not like he wasn't taking pull up jumpers. He was just almost exclusively taking them from two rather than from three. Um, right. You know, you look at his two point pull ups this season, he took 308 of them, hit 41%, which is a decent mark. Um, but you compare that to only 35 pull up threes, right? You're looking at a, essentially a 10 to 1 ratio of pull up twos to pull up threes. If you can get that mix closer to even, you know, like 150 pull-up mid-range jumpers and 150 pull-up threes, you're probably going to see a lot of um, increase in just scoring, just obviously based on the fact that there's an extra point. But you're probably also going to see an overall uh, rise in his uh, true shooting percentage as well. And I think when you get to the situation where, like, let's say Pascal can average like 26, 27 points in a season, which I don't see why he couldn't, um, and the Raptors are you know, fifth or sixth in terms of the the record in the overall league, naturally he would bake himself into that conversation. So that's, the, it's, I'm just trying to say it's not too far out. And if you're looking at sort of like creating goals for next season, it's, it's not a unattainable goal for Pascal to crack that MVP conversation. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think so. And again, as long as we're being clear that it's in that fringe MVP conversation, um, the same way, you know, I would probably set, uh, you know, the ultimate goal for Scotty next season is maybe being in a fringe all-star conversation, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, so it's not necessarily, Hey, this has to happen, yeah. but it's just like, Hey, every time there's an all-star team announced, there's probably four or five guys you're talking about that got snubbed or that were at least you, you would consider, uh, to be playing at an all-star level. And it's like, Hey, can you challenge scotty to get to that level now um and it's not a disappointment by any means if if it doesn't happen and so uh yeah it's just laying out the next challenge because of what they've accomplished and i think with siakam the other way i look at it too is the developing from the standpoint of what the team needs and of course we know the biggest need for this team is three-point shooting Mm -hmm. like yeah you look at the way these playoffs are playing out right now and the teams that seem to be going the furthest are the ones that you look down the roster and it's like they have six, seven, eight guys that come in and have no issues putting up four or five threes a game yeah. or even more. You got a Grant Williams throwing up 18 attempts in a closeout game, right? Yeah. Uh, so the game's gone, uh, bro. The game's gone when, when Grant Williams <laughs> takes 18 threes in a game seven, bro. The game is gone. And so uh, I think if you're Pascal and you're looking at the team and saying, okay, you can rely on Fred, you can rely on Gary, you can rely on OG to get those three-point shots up mm-hmm. uh, with volume and consistency in terms of efficiency. Maybe Precious Achua continues from where he he was after the All-Star break. And so now you've added a, a fourth guy that you can maybe depend on. How do we get to five, six, seven? Because right. that's where the league kind of is. And it's like, hey, maybe I can be one of those guys. Okay. Well, listen, the MVP conversation is already something that is probably going to turn a lot of heads. 
So let me just add one more. Um, <laughs> does Pascal Siakam have a chance to overtake Kyle as the best Raptor? Not next season, not even the season afterwards. But, and I know it's blasphemous. No, obviously Kyle is, you know, undisputed. Well, not undisputed. I mean, mostly undisputed, I would say. Um, currently undisputed GOAT. Currently undisputed Corrupt. Raptors GOAT. Yeah, that's right. Um, but can Pascal overtake him down the line? And the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because obviously, so now Pascal's made All-NBA second team. He's made All-NBA third team. Uh, in terms of Raptors history, he joins... Uh, Vince Carter, who made the third team in 1999, made the second team in 2000, and DeMar DeRozan, who made third team in 2017 and uh, second team in 2018. The other players on the Raptors who have been named to the All-NBA teams, Chris Bosh did it in 2007, the second team. Kawhi did it in 2019, the second team. And then Kyle did it third team, 2016. Obviously, there's other factors that go into play. There's longevity. You know, there is, you know, people contributing to championships. There's players who have changed the culture there's players who have made tons of all-star games that it's still more than than pascal but you know if pascal is on the raptors and if he remains healthy and at this level for four or five more years like are we not going to have that conversation as well i think siakam has the potential uh i think for me i would look at where does he play the rest of his prime in today's day and age where things change once, you know, you're past that peak and trades get made and all of that. Okay. Uh, players have different desires. I think, you know, if it, if it so happens that he ends up on another team post his prime, then it is what it is. Mm. But, you know, say he plays out his next contract and he's put in at this point, it's at six. If it gets to 10 plus uh, and, you know, he's got several more, uh, all-stars to his name, got more all-NBA selections. Maybe there's an all-defense uh, in him uh, as well. I think you have to have the conversation because I think what's beautiful about Pascal is he represents so much of what the Raptors have been in this modern era. Mm-hmm. A guy who was drafted you know, late in the first round, goes to the G League, finds a way to be successful there, wins the G League uh, Finals MVP, wins the G League Championship, then comes up, is the most improved player. The the Raptors organization are all about development, so he represents that in that way, goes and wins a a championship uh, and is the second leading scorer on the team behind Kawhi Leonard. Then he's taken on this challenge of being the guy, uh, and if he can continue to take this franchise forward, you know, ultimately, it'll be defined by playoff success. Can you get to the Eastern Conference Finals? Can you get to the NBA Finals? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the things that will probably tip the scales ultimately. But I think the one thing that you would have said with Kyle that applies to that should apply to Siakam going forward is, yeah, obviously, winning the championship elevated Kyle's legacy. But you didn't necessarily need that to appreciate everything that Kyle brings to the table. And I think with this version of Pascal, we want to see him make the Eastern Conference Finals. We want to see him go as deep as he can in the playoffs. But I don't think winning or not winning a championship as a Raptor should ultimately define, uh, you know, as, as the guy, should ultimately define where he ranks and where how much we appreciate him. Yeah, that's fair. That's that's totally fair. I mean, even when when Kyle, I mean, like 
I think the the championship helped. Like, um, I mean, honestly, like I I would have had him already at that level um, as the greatest Raptor before the championship, but the championship just like is unassailable. Um, mm-hmm. But like Pascal has just as, he he contributed just as much to that championship as Kyle did. You know, yeah. And when we look back at it, uh, again, like you would need a lot. Neither more of them was the guy. Yeah, exactly. That's why Kawhi's not the greatest Raptor. Although some people still say Kawhi's the greatest Raptor, which is like he had the greatest season for the Toronto Raptors, but he had one season, man. Like that, you can't. Yeah. yeah, you can't immediately vaunt. He might be the best player the Raptors ever had. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that being said. I think that's true as well. But uh, right, greatest. I think you need some longevity. You need some some part in building that program and i think that's also where kyle really helped establish like that culture of winning and i think pascal mm-hmm. probably doesn't have that benefit because with the time that pascal took over the raptors had already is like essentially corrected themselves as a franchise whereas when kyle took over obviously the raptors were basically sacramento east <laughs> mm-hmm. so um there is that benefit but at the same time like when again this is looking four or five years down the line but if he keeps us up like i think there's a real chance for him to get to that level, which is kind of incredible to uh, to say as a Raptor fan. All right, lastly, before you go, big game coming up this weekend, Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern mm-hmm. at the Stade de France. Liverpool, six times champions of Europe. Real Madrid, 13 times champions of Europe. A rematch of 2018 where famously uh, Mo Salah, Got a, uh, a a dirty play. Uh, who was it? Um, Ramos broke the code. Sergio Ramos. Yeah, yeah, he broke the code, as Steve Kerr would say. He broke the code. Okay. Um, yeah. So Mo wasn't able to play. Also, uh, Liverpool had Loris Karius in net and uh, a few uh, blunders. Very, more than a few. Yeah, some real bad goalkeeping blunders. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a different matchup, but also at the same time, it's a very familiar matchup. So. Vivek, as an unbiased observer of the game, as someone who truly loves this game, how do you see this game coming out? I think Liverpool have the better team or can feel the better 11. Okay. But Real Madrid just seem like a team of destiny right now. You look at the comebacks that they've had. Three straight uh, rounds. Yeah. And especially this last one against Man City, to pull it off the way they did uh-huh. was incredible. Yep. And so it, I think it would be very difficult to bet against them. But I will pick, I think I said this earlier, I will pick Liverpool to get their revenge for that previous Champions League final. Um, I think especially after the final day of the Premier League going down the way that it did, they will have that extra motivation to mm. get the job done. Uh, and yeah, I would expect them to win it and have uh, a non-league treble. Okay, all right. <laughs> just have to sneak that in there. I, I get it. It's all good. Uh, yeah, it's just, okay. You know, United just, uh, fans holding on to former glory. I, I get it, man. Um, <laughs> how do you That's think? All I got. How, how do you think? Um, I mean, I know how Liverpool is going to play. Like I like they literally approach every game the exact same way. They're gonna press you high. They're gonna throw the wing backs up, essentially to be like almost on the level of uh, of their actual wingers. Um, how do you see Real Madrid sort of playing this? Because my concern is like they could be outplayed for 70, 75 minutes in in a match, and then 
mm-hmm. make a few subs, and then they just completely change the game. We've seen that literally the last three rounds against Chelsea, against uh, PSG, and against uh, City as well. So how do you envision Real Madrid playing it? Because if I were them, I would sort of almost play counterattack. And then, of course, when there is a turnover in play, play the ball in behind, especially on the right side. Um, Trent will probably be very far up the field. We'll see if Henderson is able to get over and cover. But uh, if it's Henderson versus uh, Vinicius Jr. or anything like that, uh, it, it's a little scary for me. So how, how do you envision Real Madrid sort of strategizing for this game? Uh, I think the main thing for them is they will believe that Modric should be able to unlock the Liverpool defense, right? I think there are those balls in behind that Liverpool, you know, they will they will look to play that offside trap and gamble with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a I think lot, Modric you mean, is, a lot. That's that's yeah, that's well, mainly yeah. <laughs> our defensive strategy. And if we do get exactly. beat on that trap, we're just relying on Virgil to run back with his speed. And, and exactly, or, or Allison is very good at, def- at saving one-on-one opportunities. Although, to be honest, yeah. against Benzema, I don't want to take that chance, man. Right, and and that's going to be such an intriguing part of this matchup, right? Yeah. Van Dyke versus Benzema, uh, just to watch those two guys go at it, uh, will be incredible. So, I think so much of what Klopp's planning will be about is is Modric, because mm. he is the key to unlocking those balls in behind and once if you can get Vinny Jr. on the run uh scary especially you know if, if it's very scary Alexander Arnold trying to keep up with him uh then that's going to be a problem so I think that's going to be the key I'll be watching that left side Modric will be watching that left side and uh <sighs> if they can pick those opportunities then that's Real Madrid's key to success uh Liverpool, like you said, they're gonna press. They're gonna press high, and they're gonna be. They're gonna try and assert their dominance. And I think Real will be comfortable with that. That's probably another important thing too. Is like Real Madrid will be comfortable playing against that and trying to, you know, break the press and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, we saw them do it against City as well. Um, yeah. So this is a really scary opponent. But as uh, as Mo Salah said um, before the the game was to the second leg between City and uh, Real Madrid, he said, you know, he wants to see uh, Real Madrid because he wants to see the rematch. And I think I'd want to as well. Hopefully it's going to go well uh, for Liverpool. I I am cautiously optimistic that they will win. But, uh, you know, look, listen, both teams are dealing with heartbreak. You know, Um, obviously Liverpool missing out on the league by one point once again uh, to City. But uh, on on Madrid's side, you know, they missed out on Mbappe, who, uh, man, that contract is incredible, by the way. <laughs> a two hundred million dollar signing bonus is incredible, man. And he gets to decide everything. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he's he's the <laughs> he Brooklyn Nets the new manager. Yo, the, the PSG is the Brooklyn Nets, man. That is a perfect analogy. That is just uh, pure chaos. Big names yep. getting their way, doing as they please. And yeah. yeah, and then, you know, in a year, we'll probably have uh, Mbappe wanting out. Damn. Okay. This be, you know what's going to be interesting? Because we are going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets on the other side of this break. But Vivek, appreciate you for coming on, for, for, for talking about Pascal, for talking about soccer, as always. And uh, yeah, I'll call you again next week, hopefully uh, with a very celebratory tone. I like it. Appreciate you, Will. All right. I think that's a good spot for us to take a break. I'm your host, William Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. 
Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, I'm your host, Wim Lou. And for the second segment, I am joined by the scores, Joe Wolfon. Wolfon, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I am doing well. I am, uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm reeling a little bit. So yesterday after work, I decided to play in um, my intramural soccer league. Uh, we were short on bodies. We didn't have our usual substitutes, so I played the whole match uh, for an hour, which honestly wasn't super exhausting. But then afterwards, I decided to go play in a pickup basketball run for about another two hours. And uh, this morning when I woke up, I was like, damn, these legs don't work the way uh, they used to. So <laughs> I'm a little sore is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, you're what, like seven, eight years younger than I am? So yeah, but I, uh, I feel fun. no sympathy for your for your young legs. What are you talking about, bro? You are like... First off, you you still look 25. And second of all, you still move like you're 25, man. You're like one of the most active. I've, I just imagine like that's a, your usual day to day, at least pre baby. You know, it was just like, you know, don't 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 act like I didn't have you out on the, the ultimate frisbee team and you weren't one of the best runners there. <laughs> yeah, that was my really my only skill in ultimate was just run. I mean, I guess. That's what's great about ultimate is like that's you can get by just by running yes. a lot and running fast. So absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, um, we have now talked about uh, lots of different sports that aren't necessarily basketball um, so far. So let's let let's actually focus on the basketball portion of this. So look, I was thinking about what to talk about, and this is one of those days where a lot of news just kind of falls into your lap. So first half we talked uh, about all NBA selections with Pascal Siakam. Um. My only question is, okay, so, Wolfon, you're, you're a Raptor fan too, but, like, you know, you cover the, the whole league, you know, for the score. And Did you have any thoughts about Pascal making it over Jimmy Butler? Um, I think, like, you know, regular season, stack up their production next to each other. If, actually, how many more minutes did Pascal play in the end? Like, I, I'm not entirely sure how close that wound up being. But Okay, so Pascal uh, played 2,578 minutes. Okay. And Jimmy Butler, for the Miami Heat, played 1,931. So we're looking at an additional 600 minutes. Yeah, that's like a very significant gap. Yeah, so I think I if you take that into account, it's totally reasonable for the regular season to have Pascal on there ahead of him. I mean, you know, this always happens where the postseason kind of changes people's perspective and changes the narrative a little bit, but that's not when the voting for these things happens. Mm -hmm. So to, to incorporate playoff production is pointless. Like, yeah, Butler has been incredible in the playoffs, uh, you know, up until the last couple of games, but uh, it's just, I mean, you strip that away. And I think, yeah, I'm totally fine with Pascal making it over him. I think, you know, you really could have made a case for any two of Pascal, Jimmy, or LeBron, I think, for that last uh, third-team forward spot. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think I would have been aggrieved either if, like, Jimmy had made it and Pascal hadn't. I think it was more or less splitting hairs between all of those guys, and uh, I'm really happy for Pascal that he made it. Like, the rare 
you know, non all-star to make it to all NBA. Right. Um, that's right. That's, um, and this is why, like, I'm not a person who gets super up in arms about all-star selections because ultimately I think the all NBA thing is way more important mm. if we're talking about, um, whether it's legacy or just sort of telling the story of a particular season, that's the one that takes the whole season into account. Whereas all-star voting happens, you know, halfway into the season. So if, like Pascal, you either missed a bunch of time at the start of the season or took a little while to get going, then you're not necessarily going to be rewarded for like the whole body of work in a particular campaign. But uh, if you, you know, take stock at the end of the season and uh, that player is deemed to have been one of the 15 best in the league, then, you know, that to me means a whole lot more than an all-star selection. So that's a huge honor for him and reflective of a great bounce back season after a bit of a down year last year. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, all-star is... Just the first half of the season, as you mentioned, and also it's a bit of a popularity contest because uh, Andrew Wiggins started the game this year because uh, uh, he he had a big fan from uh, a K-pop star, which is like, okay, that's cool, but like, what are we doing, man? Yeah. Well, so, by the way, so what's... Huh? Uh, I think Vince made two all-NBA teams with the Raptors, right? But I, yes. I think that might have been the only other guy to make multi... Or, or I guess DeMar also made two. Yeah. So right now, they're actually... So both of them made a third team and a second team and now pascal's made a second team and a third team so like um i don't know one more and pascal will be clear-cut number one in terms of just at least all nba selections which um you know again you we, you, you might look back on this conversation four or five years from now and say well maybe pascal's in that conversation to be the greatest raptor of all time i think he would need a, he would need more years on it for sure and, and to accomplish a few more things but I don't know. He has a, he has a good chance and uh, good for him. He's he's also a very decorated player too. One most improved player as well back in 2019. Um, so moving from the vibes that are Pascal Siakam, which are always very positive, to the Brooklyn Nets, which are pretty much the exact opposite. So it's funny thinking back on the season how much sort of attention and thought was paid to the Nets. I know, you know, you know, I don't know how much on Pound the Rock you, you guys discussed the Nets on a day-to-day basis, but it definitely came up, you know, a ton because they were a very, very topical team this year. There was a lot of like, oh, my God, you know, like I, you don't want to see the Brooklyn Nets in the uh, in the play-in game. And then, oh, my God, you don't want to see Brooklyn Nets if, if uh, you're the first or the second seed in the Eastern Conference. And then, of course, they got swept. You know, look, they were competitive against a really, really good Boston team. Um, but, look, a sweep is still a sweep. And now the news out of Brooklyn this is from coming from Kristen Winfield of the New York Daily News, is two things. Number one, the Brooklyn Nets are hesitant to sign Kyrie Irving long-term um, for reasons that should be fairly obvious as to why they would have some second thoughts in terms of signing him up to like a five-year deal. And because they're hesitant to sign Kyrie long-term, Kevin Durant has now not spoken to the front office uh, all summer. So, Wolfon, loved your thoughts on the Nets and just how much of a mess they are. Should they re-sign Kyrie just to appease you know, KD, should they re-sign Kyrie just because that's their best move? Like, yes. what do you do? Yes, 100%. That's their best and only move. Like, that's, I mean, this is what they got themselves into. They knew what they were getting themselves into. Did they, I though? I mean, maybe, did, did well, they? not in terms, they didn't know they were getting themselves into a global pandemic uh-huh. against which Kyrie Irving was going to be unwilling to vaccinate himself. Like, that, you could say, okay, they didn't sign up for that. Mm. But at the same time, like, Kyrie came with baggage comes with baggage like you you know whether it's been his checkered injury history or you know his history of 
I guess I would have to go back and say, I don't know if before last season there were any other instances of him sort of like taking time off for personal reasons, which, you know, I have no issue with that whatsoever. Like if you need, uh, you know, a mental health break, then you need a mental health break. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But if you are the team that employs him, like you have to be aware of that stuff and recognize that uh, if you're signing him, that's a risk. And it was like a risk that the Nets were more than willing to take because it meant getting not only Kyrie Irving, an extraordinarily talented player, but also getting Kevin Durant, who, you know, on his best days can look like the best player alive. And that's like, I just don't understand what they would imagine their alternative to be in this situation, because it's not like, you know, you let Kyrie walk and then you have all this cap space to work with and, you can go out and sign somebody else to replace him. I mean, first of all, you know about his personal relationship with KD and how Durant might feel about that. But also, it's just about cap mechanics. Like, they're not an under-the-cap team, and they're not going to be an under-the-cap team even if they let Kyrie go. So mm-hmm. they're they're sort of, like, penned in, in a way. Like, they have to use Kyrie's bird rights effectively to just like blow past the cap and bring him back because there's no other way to replace him. Um, And just because it's, again, like you can go back to whatever it was, it was three years ago now. Like, I can't believe it's been that long, but Mm -hmm. that was, that was the decision they made. These were the two guys that they sort of tethered their fortunes to. And then obviously, you know, they doubled down by putting a lot of stuff on the table to go and get James Harden. And we know how that, you know, played out for them. Uh, and it and it doesn't necessarily need to be a complete loss there. Like, they do have Ben Simmons, who I know we haven't seen him play in a really long time. I know there are all these questions about him physically and mentally. And I, I don't know what the future is going to hold for Ben Simmons, but I also do know that I've seen Ben Simmons play at an extremely high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that, in theory, at least, he could be a really good on-court fit with this team and I think he helps them in the area that they need help in most. So I think they can look at that and be like, look, if things, you know, if we get a full season with our best players where, uh, I, I, you know, whether it's a relaxing vaccine mandates, like Kyrie can play a full season, like everybody's sort of on the same page and they're not doing this dance where, you know, every night they show up and there's kind of a different team with a different identity on the court, Mm -hmm. they can have a little bit more connectivity and consistency and synergy next season. Like this could be a really good team. And I just don't, again, I I like just go back to what's, what's the alternative here? Like I understand all the risks and all the reasons they would not want to commit to Kyrie long-term. I just don't think that they have another option. Yeah, no, I agree with you, which um, look, I I, I would feel queasy about like signing a check that says, Kyrie Irving, 170 million. I would, but I mean, like when he does play, he is he is phenomenal. Like you can't overlook this fact. I think there's obviously so much conversation about everything else around Kyrie, but like, I mean, the three years he's played for Brooklyn, man, 27 points per game in all three seasons. You know, he, I mean, last year he was 51 percent from the field, 40 percent from three, and 92 percent from the free throw line. On 27.4 points per game, this is his, uh, yeah, I mean, that that was last season for, for, for Kyrie. Obviously, this season he wasn't uh, 
available as much, but still quite efficient in the times that he played. And, you know, in terms of skill-wise, he is still, like, one of the most skilled players in the game. It's just making sure he's available. And and I guess they want to get some buy-in from him and all this other stuff. I think, look, ultimately, they will sort of be okay. And it kind of made me think about, like, the, the conversation in the Eastern Conference. Like, who is going to be at the top of the East next season? And, you know, I, I think what you're looking at in the playoffs right now, to me, it seems pretty clear that Boston is the best team in the Eastern Conference as things stand. We'll see if there's substantial movement in the Eastern Conference. I don't actually anticipate too much of a busy offseason. I don't know about you, Wolfon. So I actually kind of think the teams are going to mostly stay the same. I think Harden's going to stay in Philly. I think that uh, Kyrie's going to stay in Brooklyn. And if so, like, what do you foresee as the top four in the Eastern Conference next season? And out of those top four, which ones are the definitively better than the Raptors. Yeah, I kind of think it's like Bucks and Celtics are the teams that I would pencil in as like surefire contenders right now. Okay. And they might be the only two. I feel like the other teams are all sort of beholden to some variable or some wild card factor or other. Mm. Uh, so if I'm rounding out the top four, uh, I mean, I, I think that I would still put the Sixers there, even though there's so much uncertainty with the Harden situation, you know, not only whether he's going to be there, I agree with you. I think he's back. Um, I think, you know, for their sake, I would hope that he just opts in because they can kick the can down the road another year, like see how he looks next season, another year removed from that hamstring injury and uh, maybe make a more clear eyed decision about whether they want to lock him in to you know, another five-year contract or something like that. Um, I think that would be really beneficial to them if he ultimately does opt in. But mm. I think one way or another, he'll be back. And how he plays next year is going to have a lot to say about how the Eastern Conference looks. But even then, you know, even if they get the Harden that they got this season, I think, you know, with another year of development for Maxi, hopefully, you know, they spend the offseason kind of, filling out that roster on the margins, like bolstering their bench, finding a serviceable backup big man, or I don't know, you know, developing Paul Reed, I guess, to be that backup big man. Uh, I, I just think Embiid is so good. Uh, and I'm I'm really high on Maxi as well. So I think that that would be a top four team. And then it's kind of between uh, Brooklyn and Miami. And yeah, Miami's had a great season. I mean, look, they're two wins away from the finals right now. But I think there are big question marks with that team too, just in terms of like the age. They're old. Of yeah, they're uh, real old. Yeah, like you know, obviously, like Lowry, we've seen even before this injury kind of derailed him in the playoffs. Like he was not the same guy this season that he has been. No, uh, you know, in the last few, like he, I think he was still great and did all the little you know sort of Lowry things to gain advantages and help his team win games like he's fantastic but he's just not the same guy like he doesn't really get to the rim anymore he doesn't get to the free throw line as much his jump shot is not where it was and I think defensively he's also taken like a couple of steps back um, from where he was at his peak so I think that's a concern Uh, you know I think Butler is still playing you know arguably the like as well as he's ever played but he's got a lot of miles on his body and is on the wrong side of 30. And then PJ Tucker has been a huge part of their success and had, I think probably the best season of his career this year at 
you know, whatever it is, 36 or 37, you know, can they expect that to continue for him? Like of, of their core pieces, it's really just Bam and Hero who are on the younger side and who you could expect to either like sustain their level of play or get better next season. And I think that would give me some pause. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like, I will grant that, that the heat probably have a higher floor than the nets do, but I think the nets have like a considerably higher ceiling. So I would put the nets as like that, that fourth team if we're picking a top four for next year. Okay. So the Raptors are going to get the fifth seed again. I guess. I mean, honestly, like, I, I agree with most of what you're saying. And I think that, um, yeah, like a fully healthy Eastern Conference is going to be extremely tough. It was already really tough this year. Brooklyn had a very strange year. Hopefully, it, you know, for them, if they can get everything right, obviously the talent speaks for itself. Um, yeah, it's going to be a little tough for the Raptors to sort of make that next jump. But then again, I think about it and I'm like, well, second half of the season, the Raptors really had more wins of anybody in the Eastern Conference other than Boston. Mm-hmm. And if that continues for the whole year, like we're just talking about regular season success, I I, I still do feel pretty good about the Raptors' chances. But uh, the East is quite formidable. And um, yeah, well, well, you know. I mean, so I was just saying, like, who will the four best teams be? Not necessarily what will the yeah, regular season that's standings fair. That's fair. Uh, say. And I think th- there's a very easy case to make that the Raptors can wind up as a top four seed, right? Because right. I mean, if they approach the regular season the way they approached this regular season, where they really prioritized and went all out to to win as many regular season games as they could mm-hmm. and played their best players, you know, close to 40 minutes a game, then, yeah, I mean, I think they, they could very well wind up in that same place. But I don't know if if I can see them actually being one of the four best teams in the conference next season. Um, it's possible. I think it would require like a a pretty significant second year leap from Scotty Barnes, which again is like on the table. Yeah. But I feel like that's sort of what it hinges on. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe you have a, a different take on that. Like, I, I think they also need more guard depth, frankly, but yeah. um, what do you, what do you think needs to happen for them to make that jump? Honestly, Wolf on, we're going to have you on another time to continue <laughs> this conversation because unfortunately this is live radio and I have to cut you off. So okay. I'm sorry, my friend, but uh I do agree with most of what you said there. Uh, but that does it for us today. I'm your host, Wim Moon. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sports FM 90 The Fan. Thanks to my guests, Vivek Jacob and Joe Wolf, and our board producer, Derek Bindale and Jennifer Olnick, for helping us with the YouTube stream. Talk to you tomorrow.